Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, uh, I just want to say uh, welcome to Lighthouse. I, we're, we're really glad that you're here this morning. If you, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, my name's Matt Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and if we haven't met, I hope, I hope today's the day that we get to. Um, in case you're new to Lighthouse, one of the things that's most important to us here is, uh, is that people say yes, that we say yes to God's leadership in our lives. You know, it's our goal that, uh, that everyone would experience the gospel and have real, genuine faith in God that changes their lives. So that's exactly uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, we're in week five of our series, this, What is Real? Uh, we've, been asking, uh, we've been asking really uh, good questions, exploring what's true, and uh, we've been asking questions like, what, uh, uh, why can we trust Scripture? We've asked questions like, what is the truth? Uh, Who is God? And then last week, uh, we talked about uh, the fact that Christ was raised from the dead and why the resurrection matters. Uh, If you have not been able to catch all of those... I would encourage you, man. You got to go back and uh, go back and see those. You can find those on our website uh, if you go to mylighthousecommunity.com. Those are all there, and uh, they were so encouraging. I've been really encouraged by this this series. Um, and so today we're asking another question. The question we're asking is what what is what is genuine faith? What is real faith? So uh, the first thing I want to ask you, I want to ask you this: Has you have has any have any of you ever uh, used a substitute for something? You know, a substitute is something that you use in place of the real thing, right? Uh, so it's used in the place of something else. Maybe it's like a, a margarine instead of butter, or, or maybe it's a, a Tim Hortons instead of Dunkin' Donuts or whatever your, your flavor is there. Uh, you know, sometimes a substitute is okay, uh, and then other times it's you know, maybe less okay. So uh, like think, of, think of this. So uh, let's just say uh, you, know, you have high blood pressure, and, uh, and your doctor tells you you cannot have salt. You, know, you can't have as much salt, so you use a salt substitute, right? Uh, that's probably a good thing. So if, maybe if you're diabetic, rather than, than uh, sugar, you use something like stevia. Uh, or, you know, I mean, so those things are actually can be good things. Uh, and there's other times when substitutes are maybe not as helpful. Uh, so like maybe a, a substitute from, uh, you know, PC or Android to Mac or iPhone, right? So it'd be less, less helpful, right? Uh, <laughs> but maybe there's times where it's actually more important. So it's like uh, if you try and replace a nice, juicy hamburger with a Beyond Meat uh, artificial burger, right? That's when things start to get a little more serious, right? So now you, you're replacing uh, the real thing with something that just does not measure up. I'm sorry if I offend anybody with that. Uh, so uh, some substitutes are less important and, and less critical than others, uh, and sometimes a substitute doesn't actually live up to the real thing. Sometimes uh, it's actually the difference between life and death. So imagine, imagine if you are in an airplane and uh, and you're you're flying in this airplane and the engines fail and uh, and there is no saving it. The only thing left to do is actually jump out of the plane. And so people are lining up at the door to jump out of the plane and they're handing people parachutes and they're jumping out. And when you get to the door, um, instead of a parachute, they hand you an umbrella and they say, "This is a parachute substitute." Now uh, this is much much more important. I can tell you from experience. Um, I tried jumping out of the 
second story window of our home when I was a little kid with two umbrellas, and it did not slow my fall to the earth. So uh, that's really important. So, but that's exactly what we're talking about here this morning. There are no uh, acceptable substitutes for real faith. This, this is where you want the real thing. Maybe, maybe you have questioned uh, if what you have is real. You know, as we look at God's word today, I am praying that, uh, that he'll open, open our eyes to what's real. And, uh, and let's actually, let's take a minute and pray right now. Father, I pray that you would, uh, um, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to the truth, that we would see the, the real truth of the gospel, and that you would use that to change us, that we would, uh, that we would actually um, have new life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so, <clears throat> it, you know, the big question is, how do you know if you have the real thing? You know, if you ask some people, uh, they, can't, uh, they can't really explain it, uh, they just know, right? Uh, and then other people maybe don't have the, the same assurance. Uh, there's some common responses that you'll, you'll get from people when asked how they know that they're a Christian. And here, here's actually some, some common responses that people have given. Um, I believe in God. Uh, I'm religious or I pray. Uh, I was baptized. I, I do the best I can to live a moral or good life. I go to church, my family goes to church, I give money to the church, I care for the needy, I don't do bad things, uh, or some version of I follow the golden rule, right? Uh, So while all of these things can actually be good things, they are not actually good indicators of genuine faith. So what if I told you that, uh, that being good has nothing to do with being a Christian, you know, that statement might actually make you uncomfortable. Uh, it's, it might be uncomfortable because it, it rubs against some deeply held beliefs that we have that, uh, uh, in fact, it might, actually, uh, it might actually confront a substitute for what's real. So if that makes you uncomfortable, uh, it, it's okay. Uh, hang on to that discomfort for a little while because I think God's Word is actually going to answer that question for us. So uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning, and uh, primarily verses 9 to 17, but I, I think it's helpful sometimes to have context for what we're reading. So uh, let's, I want to talk for just a second about uh, who Paul was writing to. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he was, probably, he was writing this letter to Jewish and Gentile Christians uh, who were living in Rome. Now, uh, Jewish Christians were probably the ones who brought the gospel uh, to Rome in the first place, but in 49 AD, the emperor uh, expelled all the Jews from Rome, including Jewish Christians. So by the time Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, the emperor's decree has lapsed, and all these Jewish Christians have returned to their homes in Rome, and, uh, and while they were gone, the church continued to grow. But it was mainly made up of Gentile believers, right? Uh, people who were not Jews. So now you have Jewish and Gentile believers who are, uh, they bring different backgrounds and different worldviews with them to God's family. So Gentiles who were probably less concerned with adhering to the laws of Moses, and Jews who had heard the, their whole life, they had heard the law and they had placed much greater weight on obedience to it. So this was, that was an issue that was kind of behind some of the division within that church, and it was a large focus of Paul's letter to that church. 
So it's likely that, you know, uh, as even as we read this, that we realize that some of those same types of divisions might actually exist within our church and within our culture today. So uh, if being good has nothing to do with being a Christian, then what does? You know, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? How do I know that I have genuine faith in Jesus? How do I know, how do I know if I have the real thing and not some substitute? What kind of assurance can I have that I am saved? That's exactly what Scripture is talking about today, so we're going we're gonna to read it together. I'm going to read it uh, from the New Living Translation. You guys can follow along on the screen, or you can follow along in, in your Bible, uh, but we're going to read Romans 8, 9 through 17. So it says this. It says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So there's, there's three parts present here in this, in this passage of Scripture that clearly uh, describe what genuine faith in God looks like. And if, if we tried to break it down into like three really easy parts to understand, it, it would be what, it, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, how do we follow Christ? And then why do we follow Christ? So I, actually all three of these are a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there's a really active role that we play, but none of it happens without the Holy Spirit. Actually, this points to the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in you as the indicator of real faith. So what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I think we need to be really, really clear about this. You know, we say it a lot here at Lighthouse. It means choosing Jesus as your forgiver and your leader. But what does that really mean? Uh, it, means it means saying yes to Jesus, but it's more than, it's more than a, uh, you know, a catchphrase or a slogan. Uh, it means that the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the fact that you are a sinner who needs a Savior, that because of your self-leadership, you are not right with God. You're, you're separated from him by your sin. So in Jesus, like, like Jesus describes, he says, he came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. You know, he's the only one that can open your eyes to the gospel and to your need for a Savior. So it means that you are trusting that through Jesus, you're saved. When you put your faith in him, that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus paid the penalty in, play, in your place, and God forgave all of your sins. 
And now he views you as perfect in Christ. It means that, that through Jesus, you are now God's child, and because, because of that, his Holy Spirit is living inside you. And now you are alive with him, and, it, and that life is eternal. It, it also means that you're no longer a slave to sin. You know, Choosing Jesus as your leader means that you are no longer led by yourself. Because you're trusting in Jesus, you are not responsible for your own salvation. He is. You're free from following your flesh. It means that you're free from making yourself right with God. That's something you could never do. It means that you're free from making yourself whole. It means that you're completely dependent on Jesus. That's actually how he created you, was to be dependent on him. So it means that through Jesus, you have been made right with God. Through Jesus, that work is finished. It means, it means that you belong to him, you're secure in him, and, and all of this completely is be, completely because of what Jesus has done. It, you, what you have done actually has no bearing on this. You, your good works have not earned it, and your bad works have not disqualified you from it. From start to finish, it is all and only Jesus. So there's a big churchy word for this, and it's called justification, right? Justification simply means that Jesus permanently changed God's view of us when we trusted him. You know, he lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died, uh, so that now when God views us, he actually views us as, as though we had lived Christ's life and died Christ's death. He views us the same way as Jesus, you know, that's what Scripture means when it says that we are in Christ. Justification is something only God can do. It's not, it's not because of any of our work. If you're relying, I'll say this as gently as I can, but if you're relying to any degree on your own morality, or if you believe uh, that God will somehow recognize any of your good works as merit toward your salvation you need to seriously consider if you're truly a Christian. I realize that that could be an offensive statement, but the true message of the gospel needs to be crystal clear. This is We cannot accept any substitute for the truth. I don't want anyone to be deceived. So when we say choosing Jesus as our forgiver and our leader, um, what really happens is that through Jesus, we actually can come home to a perfect, loving Father and have perfect relationship with him completely by his grace and no work of our own. So if you're hearing this, and it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse here, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and you're thinking, well, it sounds like God has done everything, you're right. <laughs> he has. Verses 9 through 11 are completely about what God has done. Saying yes to Jesus means just what it says in verse 10. It says, you have been made right with God. So at this point, you might be thinking, okay, well, uh, if, if he's done everything, what's my part? What do I do? I want to do something with that. What do I do? How do I follow Jesus? <clears throat> Following Jesus actually means that our, our life is now different. My life is different than it was. It means no longer following myself. Um, it's really, it's turning away from sin, from self-leadership. It's, it's repentance. It's actually, I was going my own way, and God showed me who I was, and I'm actually turned around, I'm going the opposite direction. Now, that's what repentance is. 
so let's, let's look for just a second at verses 12 and 13. Um, it says this, it says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. You know, verse 13, this might even raise some questions. Verse 13 sounds kind of like, it sounds very imperative. You know, how, how do I do this? You know, how do I put to death the deeds of my sinful nature? Uh, what, it, what does it mean by the power of the Spirit? You know, this sounds kind of cause and effect. You know, I was just saying a second ago that God did it all. Now it looks like I'm saying uh, that it's because of my work somehow. So if we read verse 13 by itself, if we read verse 13 alone without the context of everything that came before it, that would be a really easy road to go down. You know, uh, be good, do good things, and don't die. Um, but uh, verses 9 through 11 and the, the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, and for that matter, all of Scripture, point to the fact that they point really clearly to the fact that we couldn't do it and that Jesus has done it all. So our position in God is completely secure through Jesus, and at the same time, through the Holy Spirit, God is transforming me. So uh, in an instant, our position with God was changed, and then through our lifetime, God continues to change us. So there's a continual change that happens. And that continual change, uh, that transformation actually has another, another kind of churchy word associated with it, and that's sanctification. So uh, to help us kind of define that sanctification, sanctification is the state of growing in God's grace. It's, it's being set apart for a purpose. It's being transformed. You know, another way to say it would be uh, sanctification is being led by the Spirit. So sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit and... It's the part that we have an active role in. So uh, <clears throat> with the, the context of verses 9 through 11, uh, that's, it's really critical in understanding all of this. It's because we have been made right with God, we are no longer controlled by our sinful nature. Because of Jesus, we are free to be transformed by him. You know, look how God points to the freedom to be transformed in verse 12. Right? It says, you brothers and sisters are under no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. So, so what, is it, what is it that the sinful nature urges us to do? You know, why do we want to sin? You know, I, we can't really deal with temptation because it's real. <clears throat> we can't really deal with it, though, uh, until we, uh, we can't put to death the deeds of the flesh if we don't know why we do them. You know, without, under, without understanding why, it's, it's just, it's like saying, stop it. Don't do that, right? Uh, that if you, I always think of the old, uh, I'm giving my age here, the Bob Newhart thing, where it's like, uh, I need help with my problem. So he's like, yeah, just stop it. Stop it, right? Uh, so it's, it's, it never ultimately works because uh, it never deals with the motive for sin, so it, it's like, it would be like treating a heart attack with a Band-Aid, right? Uh, it, it's the wrong treatment because we don't understand the problem. What we really have to know is why we want to sin. So what you have to understand is that at the heart of every sin, every temptation is the desire 
to make ourselves right. You know, everything that we do outside of trusting in Christ is an attempt to make ourselves right. You know, whether it's bitterness or, or it's anger or greed or immorality or, for that matter, even being good. All of it is a way to make me feel right, feel complete, feel whole. Ultimately, it's for something other than Jesus to function as our Savior. It's something other than Jesus to fill that void. It's hoping that something other than Jesus will give us worth or value or satisfaction. You know, for something other than Jesus to save us and provide our needs. You know, that's at the heart of self-leadership. It's, it's pushing against God and saying, I know what's best for me and, and I'll be in charge of it. That's what sin is. It's autonomy, it's independence, and it's control. It's the reason we do the surface things. It's, it's not just that we lust, it's why we lust. It's not just that we don't forgive, it's why we don't forgive. It's not just being good, it's why are we being good. You see, motive is everything. And, and the heart is what God is really concerned with. The root of sin is independence and self-leadership. So, ironically, that's exactly what the beginning of verse 13 uh, references as the ultimate consequence of living by the sinful nature. It's independence from God, and ultimately it's death. Without Jesus, you are responsible for everything. You are counting on you to save you. Basically, if you want to live independent from God and follow yourself, that's exactly what you get. And it, and it ultimately ends in death. That's what verse 13 is saying. You see, we were never created to live independently from God. We actually lack the capacity to do it. Do you remember what the, you know, when we talked about that definition of sanctification, part of it was set apart for a purpose. Well, that purpose, for every created person, that, that purpose is to know, love, and depend on God. You know, that dependence is actually, that dependence on God is actually what destroys sin. So sanctification is the putting to death of the sinful nature. But it's not, it's not simply willpower to avoid sin or willpower to do good rather than bad. Sanctification is God's grace showing you that he loves you because of Jesus. You know, this is really different from try hard not to be bad. You see, willpower can, to be good can only ever address a service problem. It can never reach the heart or the motive. It never addresses why we actually sin. In fact, the result of that willpower can actually become self-righteousness. Thinking that I'm good because of what I do. That idea of sanctification, though, is, is actually living by works. You know, it's the same thing that Paul warns against in Galatians 2. It's, it's saying that I am good because I don't sin. That view of sanctification actually tries to go around Christ. You know, by it, we try and make ourselves right before God. It's saying, I deserve God's approval based on my good works. 
Now, maybe, maybe you've heard this expressed in, in more common terms. Uh, maybe you've heard people say this. Uh, I think that the good that I, out, I do outweighs the bad. Or uh, I'm just trying to be a, a good person. Or um, I just try to do what is right. But you see, <clears throat> rather than good works, that view is actually the essence of sin. It's attempting to function as our own Savior. It's attempting to make ourselves right outside of Christ. That's not dependence on God at all. It's, it's very different from knowing that God views me as good because I put all my faith in the work of Jesus. You see, God wants us to depend on him. It's how he created us. It's what he created us for. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit living in us continually points us toward the fact that when we put our faith in Jesus and trusted him as our forgiver and leader, he gave us his righteousness. You don't have to save yourself. It's right there in verse 12. You are under no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, instead, focused on the beauty of the gospel and what God has already done, we are controlled by the Spirit. And we think on the things that please God. And we act based on our true identity in Christ. You know, it's no longer do good things so that God will approve of me. Rather, it's live by the Spirit and do what pleases God because it's who I am. I'm, I'm a child of God because of Jesus. His, his love for me does not hinge on my performance. You know, because of that, the gospel has destroyed, effectively destroyed, the motive for sin. It's taken away all the wrong reasons for obedience. Obedience will not gain me anything because I already have perfect righteousness through Jesus. Therefore, I've always wanted to use that word, therefore. That, that's because of all that, uh, the reason uh, I don't sin is that I don't have to. Sanctification is the constant reminder that we are fully accepted by God as sons and daughters because of Jesus and then actually walking in the truth of that identity. That, that constant reminder is what kills sin. I no longer do the things I did because I am a different person now. I have a new identity in Jesus I don't have to save myself. I don't have to satisfy myself. I don't have to make myself right. Jesus has already done all of that for me. Instead, I actually have freedom to depend on God. I'm, I'm, verse 14 says, it says, being led by the Spirit. So very simply put, sanctification, God's transformation in our lives, is being led by the Spirit. <clears throat> Now, it doesn't mean that there's no battle. In fact, the reality that there's a battle going on between your sinful nature and what it wants and the Holy Spirit is evidence that the Spirit of God is living in you. Verse 9 uh, says there's, only, there's really only two categories of people, those who have the Spirit of God living in them and those who don't. So because of that, because I have the Spirit of God living in me, I am not controlled by the flesh. Galatians 5 says, you know, God says it like this. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. 
you know, knowing why we sin is important, but the remedy for it is knowing why we obey, why we even want to. You know, the assurance of knowing we are God's children because of Jesus is really the key to sanctification. You know, growing in God's grace, being set apart, uh, knowing who you are means everything. You know, you're, you're free from the obligation of sin. You no longer have to find the thing that will save you or give you worth or value or fill the void or bring you joy. You, you no longer have to save yourself. You already have all that in Jesus. So now you have the obligation. You have no obligation to do what your sin urges you to do. Actually, you, you have freedom to be God's children, to walk with him in perfect relationship because of Jesus. That's, that's what obedience is. Obedience is more than just surface good works. It's knowing, loving, and depending on God. See, our motive is everything. So if we've put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit is leading us to what verse 15 is saying. It's saying that we are sons and daughters, not fearful slaves. That truth is so important. You know, probably one of the best illustrations that, that God's given us of this is the, um, the story that Jesus tells in, cha- in Luke, Luke chapter 15. You know, we probably all know this story. Some people know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, so what happens there is actually the younger of two brothers asks his father for his inheritance before his father's even died. Uh, his father gives it to him, and then he goes off to a, a, he goes off and squanders it, and he brings his life to ruin, uh, chasing autonomy and independence. And then, coincidentally, he finds himself dead broke in a foreign country with no way to feed himself. Um, he he hires on to a farmer, and and he's feeding pigs for the farmer, and he's so hungry that he wants to eat the food meant for the pigs, uh, and no one gives him anything. But, and when his eyes were opened to his condition, uh, he decided to return to his father and say, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this younger brother thought, my father could never accept me back as a son. So I'll hire on and I will earn back his favor. If I'm really good, I will earn his favor as employee, but never as a son. You see, for the hired worker, the father's love would have been completely conditional and, and completely based on performance. There would always be fear that you could lose, that the hired worker could lose his favor uh, based on how he did. So the younger brother has rehearsed this speech, you know, he says, and, and he goes to his father and he says, he says, I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. But the father never actually lets him get to the part where he asked to be hired on, right? The father lets him get to the part of repentance and he stops him and, and he accepts him as his son. What's happening here is, is God showing us that the spirit of fear being a fearful slave and the spirit of sonship are two completely different things. They're actually like two completely separate religions. Uh, one of them is a substitute for the real thing. And the other is the real thing. For many of us, you know, this may have been how we came, uh, we came to God, knowing that we did not deserve to be treated as sons, 
But we thought maybe we could hire on as servants and work hard to gain God's approval. That type of relationship always lives in fear of failure. Fear of losing favor because we don't measure up. You know, that type of relationship can never get to the root of our problem. In fact, it's part of our problem. What you have to see is that through Jesus, you are accepted in spite of your performance. The spirit of sonship is genuine faith. Real faith is knowing that you are God's child because of his grace and not because of your works. To the degree that you believe that your works have any bearing whatsoever on God's view of you, to that degree, you're not living as a child of God. To that degree, you're trying to save yourself. To that degree, you're trying to go around Jesus to make yourself right. Jesus says it really clearly in Scripture. He says, I am the gate. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the ministry of sanctification is all about identity. True identity takes away the motive for sin. It destroys it. So there's a part of sanctification that we do, and there's a part that God does. These two parts are, are similar, and they're, both, uh, and they're both part of our sanctification. So the, the part that we do, our part, is, is actually reminding ourselves through the gospel who we are and how we're saved. It's, it's looking deeply at what God has done for us and growing in the no- love and knowledge of his grace. That's, that's what kills the motivation for sin and leads us to obedience. That's, that's what life transformation really is. It's also responding in action to that truth. It's living by my new identity as a child of God. It's, it's realizing I am not the same person, so I start following Jesus instead of myself. It's doing the things that please God because I love him. It's essentially it's being led by the Spirit. So <clears throat> you might be saying, okay, this is, this is all great. Uh, I, I believe this, but what do I do with it? How, do I, how, do, how, does this, how does this apply? What do I do with this? How does it affect me? I want to do something, but what do I do? The answer is really actually simple. Um, it's rejoice in the truth and say yes to Jesus as he leads you. There's only two categories in verse 9, those who have the Spirit living in them and who, those who don't. So the first step, the first step is, is into real faith is trusting Jesus to save you, to make you right with God. So if, if today, if the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to the real truth of the gospel today, uh, say yes. Accept no substitute for the real thing. Turn around from self-leadership and, and trying to save yourself and put all of your hope in Jesus. When you do that, you become a new person, a child of God, one with God's spirit living in them. And then you keep saying yes. That's what being led by the spirit looks like. Uh, you, say yes, you say yes the first time when you understand the gospel and you believe. Uh, then you say yes. You say yes to baptism Because it's what Jesus points to as the first step of obedience for a believer. 
in fact, if that's, if that's you, you can say, yeah, you can put that on your connection card today, and, and you can get baptized next Sunday. We're actually doing that right here next Sunday. But then you actually keep saying yes. You keep saying yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When he speaks to you through Scripture, when he speaks to you through prayer and through other growing believers, your heart changes. You're changed by the life-transforming power of the gospel. That's the real thing. That's not a substitute. That's the real thing. And, and how, how you know you have the real thing? Remember, there's, there's two parts to sanctification. There's, there's our part, and there's God's part. And while there, there's part of sanctification we do, uh, when we say yes, there's also a part that only the Holy Spirit can do. So verse 16 says, His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are His children. Through the Holy Spirit, God assures you that because of Jesus, you are His child in whom He is well pleased. It's it's the power to walk in obedience. It's, It's the overwhelming joy of knowing that I belong to Him and in Him I'm secure. It's it's the reminder that I can depend fully on God because he is my father. I don't need to lead myself. I already have the perfect leader. You see, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He reminds us. He comforts us. He reassures us and empowers us with the truth that we belong to him. Sometimes... uh, this happens when we're reading scripture. Sometimes this is, this is during prayer. Sometimes this is through other growing believers in our lives. And sometimes it's simply just felt. If you ask somebody who has genuine faith how they know, uh, they might simply say, I just know I'm not the same. I know that God is living inside me. That is the Holy Spirit testifying with their spirit that they belong to him. You see, the Holy Spirit's affirming the same thing through Paul at the end of this chapter. Uh, remember, this is, this is Paul who tried to make himself right through obedience to the law before he came face to face with Jesus. The very person, pers- person he was persecuting, Paul was, was rounding up and killing Christians before he met Jesus. Now, He's a different person because of Christ. So he says this at the end of the chapter. He says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus, who who died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ our Lord. So that's the power, that's the confidence to actually live as children of God. You see, we're not, we are not fearful slaves. We trust God as, as, as forgiver and leader. We're no longer that. We are actually his children. So that is something to rejoice about. If you're trusting completely in Jesus to make you right with God, uh, rejoice. Enjoy God's grace. Experience the joy and peace that can only come from belonging to God and depending fully on Him. I want to take just a minute right now uh, and, and give us, let's just all take just a, just a minute and go to God in prayer and ask this question. God, what are you speaking to me today? And let's just listen. We care really deeply about prayer uh, here at Lighthouse, so much so that we know everyone uh, needs prayer. We have prayer partners who are, are, are making their way to every corner of the room right now, and um, um, they're here to pray with you. Uh, God wants us to depend on him in prayer. So as we close this morning, uh, we're going to sing one more song. And if you need prayer, you can actually come, and these people are ready to pray with you. But first, I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for the amazing gift that you have given to us through Jesus. I rejoice that we can, we can be your children, and you are our Father. Father, would you draw everyone by your Holy Spirit who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.